Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Full Time Whistle podcast. This week I had the pleasure of chatting with Clyde One Super Scoreboard presenter Gordon Duncan. Gordon shares some fantastic stories from his career so far, from growing up as a massive Motherwell fan to getting into sports reporting after completing a degree in English and Spanish, as well as a postgrad in broadcast journalism. Gordon discusses getting into radio reporting, landing the gig as host of Super Scoreboard, and shares some tremendous tales from his time on the show and in the football media in general, with callers, pundits and footballers. I really hope you enjoy this one. Let's get into it. So Gordon, thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Um, just like everybody else, just trying to keep busy. Actually, um, the lockdown here is worse than I thought. You've made me look at myself on Zoom call uh, for the first time in a while, so I might need to get that scene to Yours is looking not too bad, actually. So just uh, enjoying a bit of downtime from, from Super Scoreboard, which I get at this time every year. And uh, This has nothing to do with the, the lockdown or anything. I'm always off at this time and go again when the new season starts. So looking forward to that. Yeah, so how, how have you been coping in things? Obviously, it'll be a bit different. Um, you, you mentioned you're off just now. You've got different presenters and things in. How's it been, obviously, when you've been in, though? Yeah, I mean, so it was strange, just logistically, um, first and foremost. Like, a lot of the pundits, like Hugh, for instance, was doing it from home due to his age and, and the situation that we found ourselves in. So that was a bit of a challenge, not the same sort of... Um, the same sort of fluency, you don't get the same sort of interaction with people when they're not in the same room, obviously. Um, and then really the subject matter like, changed drastically. When it first started, I, I was really worried that we wouldn't have anything to talk about. Um, but I should have known Scottish football better than that. It never really yeah. lets you down. So, um, if anything, I, I, I'm pretty sure, in fact, the listening figures would back this up. I think some of the busiest shows of the season came after the lockdown. So um, it was unique, obviously. Um, We've never had a situation like that. Hopefully, we don't ever have it again. Um, but no, it was fine. It was challenging, and it was it was exciting in its own way. Just all the stuff around Hearts and the the relegation and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing a a graph. I think for some of the listening figures on the day that Dundee changed their vote, or you know, it was like a random Wednesday. We hadn't had football in weeks, and you're thinking, you know, that the, the these could be the types of shows that you would be struggling to fill and. It, like the interest that night was just through the roof and it was just ongoing it was quite a um you know it was obviously quite a, a fluid situation developing all the time and then also it caused us to think outside the box a little bit we had a, a lot more um in the way of like different guests and players on checking in and what they were doing I think we had almost every from memory in the, in the couple of weeks of lockdown um you know almost every manager on the top flight we had various yeah. players from from all sorts of clubs, just trying to think outside the box of it because you don't have that same weekly routine of build up to the game, react to the game, moan about refereeing decisions, build up to the next game. That's the sort of weekly routine that it tends to follow and that wasn't there, but it was good. It was a different challenge. As you say, Scottish football is never dull. Um, so to start, I always usually like to, to take guests back to sort of early memories of football. So what what was football like growing up for you? I think you grew up in Motherwell, I believe, Motherwell fan. Yeah, and, and being so close to the stadium is probably the first thing I remember. So I grew up, um, you know, like literally metres away from, from Fir Park. Um, and right across from the house I grew up in was, was a, a park and you could you could see the floodlights from, from Fir Park just poking up above the houses and that's that's what football kind of means to me when I think back. I always kind of associate the two. I always remember on Saturday afternoon, 
the cars being sort of lined up my street. Um, I always tell this story as if Fur Park was really busy and in my head it, I had like 50,000 fans there at the weekend. I'm sure that wasn't the reality, but that's the way it seemed when I was like four. Um, and I'd go and play football in that park. Um, I'd see all the cars on match day and, and then my, my papa would take me to Fur Park and, and friends and neighbours and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, those are like my first memory. I mean, my first memory of I can't even remember the first game I went to. I know, I know that it was at Fir Park. I think it was against Dundee United. I know that I fell asleep, which maybe tells its own story about the the standard of the <laughs> the play. Um, not long after that, I mean, I remember going to a game and Motherwell got put out the League Cup on penalties against Alloa at Fir mm-hmm. Park, and that probably stands you in good stead for the type of roller coaster that following a team like that. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be like for the for the years that followed. So, um, yeah, playing in the park and sort of being in awe of Fur Park and, and kind of looking at the people coming and going. Um, my primary school was was joined on to Fur Park as well, so you would catch a wee glimpse of uh, players coming and going and stuff like that, and was totally blown away by it. So that's probably about the first thing I can remember. Did you ever play football at all growing up? Yeah, I mean, and I still do now, badly. Um, so, yeah, I was, I've always been obsessed with playing. Even now, that's me 30. I should probably look to, to give it a rest, but I can't. I still play uh, I still play amateur football on a Saturday morning before Super Scoreboards. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to rush into the studio in my shin pads and socks and all the rest of it and uh, try and make it come together. So, yeah, just like like most kind of guys my age or whatever, just, just played in the park every night with my friends and then... When I got a bit older, there was the chance to play uh, competitively. I did that as well. So um, I don't know. I, I always kind of think about people in, in our industry and stuff like that. And it's not like playing amateur football gives you any any insight. But I'm always interested in, to, in people that have got like such a love for it and such an interest in it without having played. I, I, I guess you can do that. Of course you can. Um, but it's never. I've never had to think about it because I've always been quite obsessed with both sides of it. Position are you? Whatever they'll take me now. Um, I, I was always, I always used to sort of play um, like wide, out wide right. Um, I get shunted about. I, I find myself at right back quite a bit these days, which again maybe tells its own story. That's when I'm not on the bench. So, uh, like I say, whatever, whatever they'll take me. So, how do you end up then getting into the the field you're doing? Obviously, um, mentioned growing up, you're you're really into football. Did you always sort of fancy something to do with football growing up, or as as a career option? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit cliche, but it genuinely is all I've ever wanted to do. Um, well, for, like I guess a lot of people probably wanted to be a footballer until I was about 11, 12. Um, that's when I realised I, I probably wouldn't be good enough to do it, um, but I just might be good enough at talking about it. So um, I, it was just a case of marrying those two off. Um, and yeah, it is, I, I always remember like maybe being about 12, 11-ish, and sort of making like a fake match programme and stuff like that. So that just like out of paper in the house, which is quite sad now that I think back. But um, I, when I realised that playing football wasn't an option, and like I said, it was never really an option. I'm talking like way, way back. Uh, talking about it seemed the next best thing. So yeah, I've always, I've always something I've, I've wanted to do. So um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you did a, was it an English and Spanish degree initially you did at, at Glasgow? Yeah, I'll give you the short version. I mean, all versions are boring, but I'll try and give it the shortest one as possible. Although this was what I always wanted to do, I guess, just like a lot of teenagers, you know, coming through school and picking subjects and then having 
like uni on your mind and stuff. I, I was never really clear about what sort of path it, and it ended up taking a bit of a, a strange route. So at, at school, I, I liked languages, I liked writing and, and, and stuff like that. So I was pretty good at English and Spanish at school and I just took a bit of the, the easy option. I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm good at them or I like them, I'll, I'll do them at uni and that's what I did. But then on the side of that, that's when I was starting to, to get sort of work experience covering football games and and stuff like that. And I thought, well, you know, to really pursue a language at university level, you obviously have to go abroad for a year. And I was, I was, in, the, the, I was in the early stages of organising that and picking out areas of Spain to go and stay for a year. But then I just realised that would probably be, you know, counterproductive to leave behind all the, the good stuff I was doing with Radio Clyde and stuff like that at the time and go away for a year. So, yeah, I did English and Spanish initially and then did a postgrad in broadcast journalism at, at UWS in Hamilton. So what what's then the, you mentioned you're doing stuff at, at Clyde One or Radio Clyde at the time. What What's that involved? Yeah, so just to go back one stage quickly was a family friend got me into doing match reports for a, a station called L107, so Lanarkshire 107. I don't, I don't yeah. think it exists anymore. Um, but that was basically just going to Fir Park and just phoning in an interview at half-time and full-time, just a, a pretty basic match report. But, but it's funny looking back because... You know, it was literally the same sort of skill set that I would then do at Champions League games or, or international yeah. games or whatever. Um, so not not long after that, uh, Peter Martin, who was the the head of sport at, at Radio Clyde at the time, um, he was actually he was a neighbour and, and knew I was really interested in stuff like that. And, and I'll never forget, just one day he just called me. It was a Saturday morning and my, my own football game had been off because of the weather. So I was in a stinking mood, sitting about, nothing to do. And he called me, and I was about 19 at the time, maybe, and he said someone was sick, and would I go and cover St Mirren against Dundee United um, oh. at, the, at the Old Love Street for Super Scoreboard Saturday afternoon, Hugh Keevans, Derek Johnson, the full shooting match. And I was just like, why is he wanting me to do this? Like, honestly, like, I was shitting myself, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, I'll do it anyway. I can't pass up an opportunity like that. And... Uh, and did that so so from there he started they started kind of offering me maybe a game every couple of weeks or a, you know it was usually a sort of a division one game as it was called at the time or I used to wait Partick Thistle quite a lot so I was just working there at the weekends um, and that was really the the start of the progression into a, a serious career if you can even call it that. So you were in them. Um, you did a bit of news and stuff as well. It wasn't always football. Um, I think I think I heard in another podcast you'd said. Um, you know, you're, you're at the Commonwealth Games for a bit, doing stuff there, having to do death knocks and things like that as well. In terms of yeah, I mean, it's a strange one because I suppose that when I when I went to uni and did broadcast journalism, you know, it was it was all about news. You know, it couldn't just be too specific and and focus fully on sport. But ultimately, it's, that's that's sort of just what you've got to do. I'm, I'll just be along that same path. Loads of people will be familiar with that. You. You do what you're told, so to speak, or you do what you're asked to um, until you can try and get yourself into a bit more of a comfortable role, maybe. So I was, um, yeah, when I first started working at, at Clyde One sort of full-time, um, they were well aware that sport was like my main interest. But yeah, if I was needed to help out in news, and I did a lot of news shifts, um, like you touched on there, you've obviously done your research. Some of it I loved, like, you know, Commonwealth Games and stuff like that. You know, that was... That's stuff that will stay with me forever. That's amongst the best stuff I've um, ever had the chance to work on. 
detail, but with that came loads of things that I wasn't interested in. Death knocks, like you mentioned, or, you know, um, covering different, maybe like different crimes out in the community and stuff like that and, and going around and, and vox popping people, right, uh, you know, in, in local areas in the aftermath of those things. Um, I remember getting sent to interview David Cameron one day and so there's been loads of things, but um, but funnily enough, I remember, it was the, the, the day I went to interview him was the day that England played Scotland at Wembley. It was the friendly one, so it was before... I think Kenny Miller scored, didn't he? I think we could beat 3-2 Wembley. And it was that day. And you got one question each to David Cameron. And you had to pre you had to pre-arrange the question with his press team or whatever. It was ridiculous. Um, so I just asked him about England playing Scotland that night, because I like like everything, like always, football was the most important thing for me. So um mm. Uh, yeah, so it's been some strange times doing news and stuff like that, but character building, I think we can call it something something along those lines. So, um, on to Super Scoreboard now, how did you sort of get into that? Like, obviously, you're, you're saying you're doing stuff for Radio Clyde, but when does the, the you know, the sort of call come in? Jenny McCulloch, was it left? Yeah. When, when yeah, I mean, you find out about that? Yeah, I mean, the progression was obviously there. I was doing games every week, and then I, I did... After working in news and stuff, I became a full-time sports reporter at, at Radio Clyde. So that was my main role, really, was was working for the show, whether that be match reports or just providing content, interviews, press conferences and whatever uh, during the week. So, um, yeah, and then Jerry decided to move on and the call just came. I mean, I think it was probably out the blue a little bit. I had stood in for him before, you know, when he was ill or away or whatever. I had hosted the show a couple of times. I'd hosted the show in the summer, um, but when he left, I always assumed that it would probably they would probably go external and get someone a bit more experienced or a bit more of a, a household name, if you want to call it that. Um, I just uh, yeah, I'll never forget. I was just driving in the car with my wife, um, and I got a call from someone uh, giving me a bit of a heads up about it. They probably shouldn't have done that, um, but they, they did and said, "Look, there's another call. There's another call coming here. They're going to ask you to do it." and um, what do you think? And actually, the exact same feeling that I just described to you when I got asked to do my first game yeah. it was exactly the same as that. Where weirdly, it was actually my heart sank initially. That, maybe that's just what I'm like as a person. I was a little, I was just like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can fill those shoes. That's a huge show. I, I don't know if I can do it. But I was never going to turn it down either. So that that kind of instant anxiety made way eventually for a bit of excitement. And uh, here we are. I always like to ask the guests I have on about their sort of debuts, maybe usually footballers playing the games, but do you remember your debut as in, you know, the, the first time you presented the show? Yeah, you split into two. I, I sometimes wish that the, the sort of stand-ins hadn't happened, you know, because I, I, like I say, I'd hosted, I think, twice, once or twice um, prior, but I always think of the real debut, if you like, as being the, the first time that it was, um, you know, official with, with me being... <clears throat> Uh, the presenter of the show and ah yeah you can I can never forget it it was just it just surreal just I had built it up so much in my head um and and maybe worried about certain things but then as soon as the when you, when you sort of hear the music you know it never gets old that feeling of the music just tailing off and then just fading the mic up for the first time and then everything just any nerves or whatever I had just kind of left at the time and that's not to say I'm like 
super confident. Or it was just, I don't know, it's just, it's a strange feeling. It's almost like when that mic goes up, I always just forget about everything else and and, uh, and just try and enjoy it. And it was great. And then you've got, you know, like when you look across and see Hugh, you always feel safe. You just know that if anything goes wrong, he'll just talk for the next two hours and he'll yeah. look after you. So uh, you, you took over. You, there you mentioned guys like Peter Martin, uh, Jerry McCulloch. Did you sort of intend to start with, like where they'd left off, obviously, with with the show? But um, or were you sort of keen to you know put your own sort of stamp on it in a way? Yeah, I think I think you have to. I just think, and this will apply to to any job. I mean, if you try and not be yourself and you're trying to copy someone else, it's it's just never going to work. It you might get away with it for a while, but and that was nothing to do with me thinking. I know how I'm going to do it, and I can do it better than anyone else. It was, it was. In fact, that's miles from the truth. But you just have to find your own rhythm, and I just figured that I'm going to have to give this a go in the, in the way that I see fit. And if it doesn't work, and if if people don't like it, and if the boss doesn't like it, and if the listening figures aren't there, then so be it. But I need to just, and I always remember just someone kind of. It was just a message. It was like a random message I got from someone who basically said that saying. Just you know, all the best, but just be yourself. You're a you you're a massive football fan. You love Scottish football. Just put that across in in the the way that feels comfortable. And that, that's I think that's all you can do. I've never had any sort of ego as to whether I believe that everyone's going to love it or, or whatever. I, I can only just do what I feel is what can I, what can I feel is natural or the way that I'd like football to be presented to me. So um, I, don't get me wrong, I. I Totally respected and, and learned a lot from all those guys. Peter first, uh, Jim thereafter, uh, then Jerry. So, I mean, subconsciously, I probably took loads from them. But when it actually came to stand, I think you just have to be yourself. There's not really much choice. So in, in the initial stages and sort of getting used to it, did you sort of experience any sort of mistakes, like any blunders? Did anybody really criticise anything? I mean... <sighs> When you say no, it's as if I'm trying to say it's been perfect. It clearly hasn't. I'm sure there have been loads, but nothing really major that that sticks out. I think because talking about football, I've always tried to really play that side of it down because that's something that I've felt comfortable with. I've always tried to just think of it as being, well, you know, it's like talking to your mates about it or whatever. It's actually the technical side that gets me more, or, or did get me more anxious, you know, because people might or may not be aware you're really at a station of that size, um, although everyone thinks it's massive, and it is in, in sort of commercial radio terms, but you know, you're in charge of of your own desk. I, I press every button and, and every every fader and, and everything really is, is at my fingertips, and um, the producers and the bosses will tell you that I'm a bit of a, I'm not, I'm not like Hugh Keevans level, but I'm a bit of a technophobe compared to some of the people in there, so I'm sure I've pressed loads of wrong buttons um, at the start, and, and maybe hung up on people or, or whatever but nah, nothing that really that really stands out unfortunately that's always surprised me as well because i'd have thought somebody else had been doing it but i think i'd seen on the twitter or something because obviously i always listen on the radio yeah uh, on the twitter or something and i'm seeing you've got the the panel in front of you controlling everything i think that's it's just kind of it's just where where radio clyde's at and that's that's not that's not a criticism of them that's a massive commercial station it's probably the biggest one of the biggest of its kind in in Britain, no doubt mm. about that. Um, but it's but it's not that big that you've got somebody pressing the buttons for you. So that, yeah, that comes with um, 
it, it does change things because I would be lying if I said that I was given a hundred percent of my attention to the call up a hundred percent of the time. You know, I would I would love to, and and people might say, I can't believe you never pulled so and so up for that or whatever. And the, the truth is, I mean, that is my priority. Don't get me wrong, and I, I'm I'm doing my best. Um, but there just might be times where I'm looking for the next interview clip to play out, yeah. or I'm taking instruction from the producer who's speaking in my ear. He's through, I can see him through a window. He's lining up all the phone calls. Um, of course, there's the big red dump button, which is to be pressed if anyone swears. And that's always quite stressful. That's just like staring at you. So again, you're having to, you may be having to listen and make sure not whilst you're looking at Twitter and everyone's calling you an arsehole and whatever else on there. They try not to get distracted off that. And then if you do hear someone swear or say something that could get you in legal trouble, that's when you panic and then you need to press that button and, and cut them all off and whatever else. So uh, it's, it's um, multitasking, I think they call it. So what's your sort of daily routine? Maybe in, in, say in the lead up to a midweek show, for example. Imagine yeah. obviously every show is different and things, but what's it like you doing your prep in terms of different topics, stories, etc.? What do you sort of do to prepare? It's so fluid, I think, just because of this, the social media age. Like, I, I, People always ask me, and I couldn't possibly put any real time frame on, on like the level of prep. To the, the, the closest I can come to telling you a routine is that I go into the office at four o'clock. So the show starts at six. I'll arrive at four. Um, every day I'll then go to a meeting with um, Alison Conroy and, and Andrew McLean, who are the two sports reporters that we have. Um, the producer, whoever it's going to be that night, and usually a couple, the, the boss or a couple of the bosses, and we'll just sort of get a bit of a feel for what's been happening that day. Where have Andrew and Alison been? What press conference have they been to? What was the top line from that? You know, what did Neil Lennon say? What did Stephen Gerrard say? What else is doing the rounds? But the truth is, my prep probably starts when I get up. Like everybody else nowadays, first thing I do, as soon as my eyes open, is go on Twitter, get a bit of a flavour for what people are talking about. And then that that will just start seeping into my head as the as the day goes on. It'll become pretty clear by the afternoon. Right, this is the main topic. This is the next one. This is the next one. And usually looking for just a couple, two or three, uh, just to keep you going. And then once four o'clock comes, I get a bit more of a kind of game face on with it and, and try and structure it to be like, you know, almost like a bullet point. Like, that's the top story. That's the next one. That's the next one. And then just work our way through it from there. As well as obviously doing your prep and stuff, sometimes there'll be, you know, kind of breaking news and things that you you have got to react at the time. For example, for tonight, you know, you've got Elianusi signing. That's probably an hour before the show, so you've got the people. Yeah. I think it was Alison Conroy on tonight. People having to react to that is, is that difficult to handle as well? Yeah, it can be, but it can be good as well because it works in a few different ways. There might be nights where you think, ah, oh, this is it's really quiet today. There's not a lot happening, and then something happens at five to six, and the shows. Uh, totally taken care of um, but it, it, it's a challenge because it's very fluid and things are are always changing you know it might it might be that you actually thought you, you did have a busy show lined up and you had everything planned and you thought right I'm going to talk about whatever Celtic first and then after the first break I'm going to move on to Rangers and, and make sure that um, you know we're having a good spread of, of what's getting spoken about but then something else breaks and it, it kind of takes over everything so there is an element of of really thinking on your feet and trying to move things. It is like a bit of a jigsaw. I'll always plan the show and I break it into the same sections as the as the breaks. So we get a break at 20 past and 22 every hour. So I've 
I don't have there's nothing nothing close to a script or anything like that. But I've, I've always got like a timeline, right. and then just like kind of rough um, bullet points in, in whatever order. But it's like a jigsaw. So sometimes if something breaks, I think right, I'll move that out of there and I'll put that back in there, and then that one can go in. Um, so it, it's just, but that's what's good about it. That's what's good about live live programming you're, you're just reacting and there's there's nothing better than when something breaks and you're on air at the time and then you get calls off the back of it and you're hearing people's like fresh reaction to something that's just happened a couple of minutes ago that's that's what that's what live radio is all about for me so uh, a question that i sort of really wanted to ask was how do you kind of remain impartial obviously i'm a mother will fan and things obviously but you're you're the presenter so you're sort of mediating in a way, like you've got to remain balanced, put put your put the points across to the to the panel and things. How do you sort of remain with without an opinion in a way? Maybe if you disagree with a caller or or one in the panel. Yeah, I mean the the whole concept of impartiality in Scotland doesn't really work anyway. So I think the biggest learning curve for me just straight away, day one, you can't please everybody. That's that's got that's just that's got to be it, and sort of live and die by that. I mean, that that's the hilarious thing about it is and I, there's no point in me sort of rhyming it all off. I don't have to justify it. I, I think I could do the same job if I was a Celtic fan or a Rangers fan, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I've been obsessed with Muddle since I can remember. I was a ball boy and a season ticket holder. I've been home and away and abroad, but there's still a large percentage of people out there that don't even believe that so what does it what does it matter you know you're always going to be accused of being this that or the next thing so I, I don't actually think it matters too much it's right what you say though in terms of kind of mediating and I think that's where people I'm there to get you know get the conversation going if they're both agreeing on something I'll just take the opposite viewpoint just to just to keep the conversation going that's um I feel like that's that's kind of what I'm there for so I, I just always try and try and get a discussion going. There will be loads of times that I'll put across the side of an argument that I don't believe at all, I wouldn't agree with. Um, but I don't, I've not, I think the easiest thing to do is I always tell myself nobody cares what I think. That's always the, the kind of mindset I come from. People don't care what I think. They, they're there to, to hear what the pundits think. Um, so I just always try and provide the opposite viewpoint. And I know people maybe get fed up with that as well and they'll say, oh, you're... I, you know, sitting in the fence or being devil's advocate too much, uh-huh. but it would be a pretty short show if they two had the same opinion and I just went, I, ah, do you know what? I agree, but I mean, let's move on. You know, that 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 wouldn't really work. Does it ever annoy you with the you know people accusing you of being biased or anything? Obviously, you're a mother. Like, I, for example, I'm a Livingston fan, and you still get it. You still get the yeah. what? What one do you really support though? And yeah. all of that, like, does that annoy <laughs> you? I, do you know what? It probably does a little bit, um, but at the same time, I'm used to it, so you, you, you can kind of laugh it off like anything. Um, what's that old, you know, it's the truth that hurts, you know? So if, when the show gets any sort of criticism about whatever it may be, I mean, it, if it's things that I think, oh, you know, maybe that is true and, and maybe maybe I should have done that or maybe I should have done that, that's the bit that's like, they're the bits that are likely to get to me. Someone telling me that I'm not really a Mullow fan, or I mean that I could never, it, it could never get to me. Um, if you want me to be, to if you want me to be completely honest. I find it a wee bit sad that there are grown adults who cannot get their head around the fact that people just might not see everything through uh, the prism of Celtic and Rangers. Um, but so be it. That, um, that that's up to them. 
So what what are the the pundits and the in the panel like? There seems to be sort of a, a great on air camaraderie. You seem to all you know really get on. I assume it's like that off the off the show as well. Is that yeah, sort I mean, of just? Um, I, I think part of it's natural, and and then it just it, it was never really a, a deliberate thing. It just seemed to, to to sort of work. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there are. It's obviously that it's good if there are times when there's a real air of kind of confrontation and people are going at it and they've got, they've got different viewpoints. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you should shy away from from that sort of. Uh, camaraderie, as, as you say, I think people. I, I, I get the impression that, that people like like that sort of thing as well, and then that that makes them feel like they're perhaps a part of it. Um, but I think what's good about it is there's just such a, a a different blend. Like I say, it's not it doesn't have to be everyone's cup of tea. But in terms of on on paper, Hugh always tells the story. Always says that I'm the first presenter of Super Scoreboard that wasn't born when he started the show you know and I know for a fact at the start he probably thought who's this guy who's this kid like you know mm-hmm. questioning me or, or pulling me up but I like to think that he, he get he gets it now and he respects it and I respect him even although there might be times where I'm totally winding him up and maybe pushing him a wee bit too much and um but that, that's just kind of what we're there for you've got guys like um Mark Wilson Alex Ray um who played the game semi-recently um, and you know, and played in, in English Premier League and played at, at Champions League. Um, Gordon Diel obviously brings a sort of kind of obviously did did play and manage as well a bit further back. Um, but just a great comic relief, just a great character, just a, yeah. a really infectious laugh. Just a, it sounds so stupid, but even when you laugh, you find yourself kind of laughing along because um, it's just a bit of comic relief. Then the, the kind of journalistic side, you've got Roger Hanna who knows everything there is to know about football so I'm more than comfortable to still people say nah, not my cup of tea you don't like it that, that's absolutely fine but I, I still feel as if there is a, there is a, a decent blend there of, of kind of different boxes being ticked Just touching on Hugh Keevans as well oh, he, he seems an absolute legend what, what, what's he like? He, he really is just, he's like a, he's a force of nature and, and when, when I say that that I probably disagree with Hugh more than I disagree with any other pundit. There are loads of things he says that I think oh, that's just that's I just don't agree, and and then I'll test him on it and I'll push him on it, and and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forward. But that doesn't mean I don't have the utmost respect and understanding for how important he is to the show. I mean, the way that he the way that he just handles situations, his his turn of phrase, the way he describes things, he's a proper one off. Yeah, and and that that's the thing again. And he would, he, I think most people would class him maybe as a sort. Is he a marmite character? I don't know. Maybe a kind of pantomime villain. Maybe that's more appropriate. You know, there will be loads of people out there who 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 won't like him. But that, that that's that's not really the point. I think you get yourself to that level where you, where you can be liked and disliked in equal measure, but still um, be able to pull it off. And you know, he's just got. His stories are just r- ridiculous. You know, the way I always say to him, you know, he, he used to exchange Christmas cards with Sir Alex Ferguson. He used to be able to call up Dennis Law. He's interviewed oh. Jock Steen and, you know, and, all, and everyone else and Billy McNeil and all these types of guys. And, and now he gets stuck in the studio with me three times a week. I always think, like, <laughs> you know, that this, he's, got, he's got a story for everything. Um, and then a bit of a, a sort of 
left field thing that I've sort of realised in recent years. He really comes into his own as well when see when there's something sad happens, even with when it, whether it was Billy McNeil, whether it was Fernando Rickson. I think he's almost unrivaled, actually, in 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 Scottish football terms at, at eulogising these people and and dealing with them. He's I listen to him and think, God, I'm nearly in tears here listening yeah. to the way he describes these things. So ah, he's 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 a one off. I think that sums him up. Love him or hate him, he's a one off. I remember the Billy McNeil one. He's just got he's got such a way with words, doesn't he? Aye, like uh, he's like I say in, in those situations, he's he's he's, a, he's pretty much peerless. I think he's uh, yeah, I think he just gets it. He can provide that human touch, but but backed up with loads of stories of it. You know, times that he's met these guys or interviewed these guys or um, dealt with them, like you're saying. And unfortunately, uh, you know, that's not something to celebrate because I wish we didn't have these types of occasions. But but that's life, you know. And in the last few years. Billy McNeil and um, and Tommy Gemmell, they were obviously kind of close by to each other. Fernando Rickson, uh, we recently had shows, you know, the, the anniversary of David Cooper and stuff like that. So, um, like I say, it's not exactly something to be celebrated. I wish we didn't have those shows, but when they do come around, he is, he's, he's incredible at them. Sometimes people that maybe aren't, aren't so great with words, sometimes the callers, um, usually Celtic and Rangers fans that, that, you know, dominate the show in terms of calling. But what's it sort of like for you fielding the calls? You mentioned obviously earlier you get sometimes the, the dodgy ones, you hand over the red button and things, yeah. and sometimes maybe not, maybe not paying full attention. You were you were touching on earlier. What's it like sort of handling the calls and put, putting it over? Because I mean, it seems you seem to do it rather straightforwardly, but I imagine. It's I, it'll always be, it'll always be the lifeblood of the show. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, that you know they're still still the stars of the show or the callers. That's why that's what the show was was founded upon and I think it's still the same to an extent. Um what I always say to people when they ask is oh, there's no getting away from it. But sometimes the callers are very angry or very excitable or ranting and raving. And I always say to people if you think that's bad, just think about the types of calls that don't get through. Think about yeah. think about the ones that think about the ones that the producer had to say, oh nah not tonight. Um but I, it just it's just such a it's such a mixed bag that that's what I love about it because you can you swing from you know we've, we've got loads of like really really articulate callers who who phone in and then you get guys so passionate about their club and follow them everywhere and and then of course you've got you've got a, a sort of comic element if you can even call it that where guys are just who are passionate first and everything else after and it and it just can it can run away with itself and they can bring up something from 40 years ago that they didn't like that Hugh said and and talk about this, that and the next thing and um but I just I just love it. I just love the I just love the mix. I just love the fact that you never know what you're you're gonna get when you fade that make up the call could go any which way. You make it look easy in a way, like what's it like? Obviously every call is going to be different and things. What's mm-hmm. it like because you're also live on air trying to strike up a combo with, with every single guest. What's that like? And then putting, the, obviously, their questions about. Yeah, for me, I've always just... Try to stay calm is, like, the number one thing. It sounds so stupid, but I sometimes even just write it on the top of my, my sheet of paper. I just sometimes write it calm. I just think, like, that's, that's like, my base level. If I can just try and deal with everything like that... Um, Hopefully everything else should fall into play. Don't get me wrong. If you know if there's a time where 
if I feel the caller's really barking up the wrong tree or something, then I will get maybe a bit more agitated and get into it. Um, yeah. I just don't think I stay calm and just try and, and sort of balance it through um, and, and, and get a bit of a spread, you know. And that's, that's the feedback that always fascinates me. Some people say we want to hear more from the callers and some people don't really like hearing the callers ranting and raving and they would rather it. So I just sort of try and give everyone a fair crack at it and, and go around the pundits and, and let them... But, but the calls are brilliant. I mean, you mentioned the sort of the, the dump button. I was always led to believe that you wouldn't really need to use it, but I've had a few, quite a few occasions of people like swearing and stuff like that, and it's hilarious because it just totally catches you off guard. I mean, I, I could honestly run through like loads of them. I think the first one of the first times it ever happened, I was it just totally blew it, it blew me away. I was totally shocked, and I I just couldn't stop laughing. I just went in a fit of laughter because. It was it was Mark Wilson and Gordon DL, and we had just been like laughing. We had we had been laughing about something anyway. We had, it had been kind of light-hearted humour, and it, I was kind of still half laughing when I then put the, the the fader up and I said, "Next up, we've got Mary." I can't I can't remember. It was a female caller. Next up, we've got Mary in in Hamilton, and we were kind of still half laughing at the time. And she just went, "You talk pure shite," and <laughs> I was just like. Two things. First of all, I'm like, right, professionally deal with this, right, fader <laughs> down, dump button, cut it off. Right, okay, that didn't go on air, good. But after that, they're two, the two faces, the pundits, they've just lost it. So they're laughing. I've got tears running down my face. But because I cut it off, the swear word never would go out on air. So if you're listening at home, you won't hear it. But you just hear me and those two absolutely losing it and, and laughing mm-hmm. away. Um, we had one recently where the beat the pundit contestant swore, which is, a, which is an absolute nightmare because try not bore you with all the kind of the kind of the boring side of it. But the show does go in an eight second delay, right? Just to prevent anyone swearing out on air. So whatever you're listening to at home is eight seconds behind what's been said in the studio. So in theory, as long as I press that button within the eight seconds. It will cut those eight seconds off, and then you will never hear the swear word okay. going out, if that makes sense. So the only problem is, beat the pundit, seven o'clock every night, it's 30 seconds on the clock, answer as many questions right as you can. So it's the only time of the night when we can't really afford to wipe yeah. wipe those eight seconds from existence, and it's never really happened before. And this boy couldn't remember his answer, did what Scottish people do, and said, fuck. And then I had to just dump it, and then it all hell broke loose because I didn't. There isn't. There is no answer to that. There is no fix. Um, there's been. There has been all sorts. I mean, there was one. Is, I can't believe I'm just running through all the sweary words that have ever been said here. If you want me to stop at any point, just uh, just tell me. Well, no. Um, my, my next question was genuinely, what What's your favourite stories and things? So fire away. Um, and the one that the one that was funny and it was funny to look back on, but it just it could have been it could have been a disaster was. I got a Rangers fan phoned in and he said, um, I'll tell you what the Rangers need, he's saying, see the midfield, you know, we're needing a bit of dig in there, you know, he says, it pains me to say it, and he says, well, I'll tell you what we need in there, he says, Scott Brown, we need a Scott Brown, and he says, now, I'm not saying I like the cunt, but we need <laughs> now, so, the beauty about that is that's that totally Scottish use of that word where he didn't mm-hmm. even really mean it in an insulting way, he was just, Using it like like Scottish people do, yeah. But of course, it's like it's it's the it's the mother of all swear words in in radio terms. So I'm like, oh my god, right, okay, dump the call, 
right, heart sinks as always, but right, calm down. It didn't go on here, fine. But I wake up the next morning and I'm always just because I, I'm, I'm about a midnight to bed man, so I'm not that's not that's not too early. So if I wake up then in the morning and between midnight and the morning I've got like 20 plus notifications, I'm always like, shit, some, something's happened, something has happened overnight. And what had happened was the producer had forgotten to cut out the podcast. Oh, really? So, um, so loads of people then heard it, uh, heard it in its raw, unedited form. And I got a call from Roger, who obviously works at The Sun as well, to say, I've just had an email sent about, our, our, our digital desk is about to publish a story called, Did Super Scoreboard Caller Call Scott Brown a Cunt Life on Air? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Roger, please, please convince them to not to not run that story. I'm going to get to cut out the podcast, and, oh. and we did. So there we go. Oh, you might need to cut that out of your podcast. I don't know what your your rule is on the sea. No, not, not at all. Um, has there any? Has there ever been you know times where you you mentioned there you you lost it at that caller? Imagine you mentioned Mark Wilson there and uh, Gordon Dale. They seem a, a, like a total match made in heaven in a way, like. I think I've seen a clip of you just absolutely pissing yourselves at some time. Has there ever been a, a time like that? Anyone's sort of totally lost it or, again, any more caller stories or anything? Loads. I mean, I think um, just to, for a bit of context on those two, um, it, it just kind of, it just, it just we stumbled upon it as a pairing. Like, as a rule, and if you'll notice this if you look through the week and in the history of the show or recent history, it always kind of try and go roughly sort of one journalist, one football guy, you know, just to give a bit of, Bit of balance, um, bit of different perspective. You know, rough, like I say, roughly. You know, on Monday, Hughes, the sort of journalist, Alex Ray is the footballer. On a Tuesday, Roger Hanna is the journalist, Gordon Dale is the footballer. Just to, to, to provide a bit of balance. Um, yeah. Those two just came together on a Thursday and just totally hit it off. Like, the, the chemistry between them, they're, they're pretty funny. And again, I, I always feel like saying this, for, for anyone who's listening who doesn't like the show or doesn't like them, this is not me saying I think it's universally fantastic and no one could possibly think different. I, I get that it still won't be everybody's cup of tea, but but the sort of listening figures back up the fact that that's a good idea to have those together. No. You know, we, we don't just guess these things. Um, Thursday is an extremely popular show, both anecdotally from what people tell me um, and statistically as well from, from sort of listening figures and stuff like that. So... Um, it's just a complete carry on. It's just it's just a completely different feel, and that's why I love it. I don't think we could do that every night, but I think there's room for it in a week, and and that's why when Thursday rolls around, you know, you're just having a bit of fun. Um, like I said, a couple of those times, we've absolutely lost it. Um, I think the we did a sort of lockdown quiz in the last few weeks uh-huh. as well. Um, we streamed it live on Facebook and stuff with those two. So just seeing the way they interact with each other and and uh, some of the laughs they get and then they, they make they make me laugh as well you know like some of the some of the quiz answers that, that Gordon comes up with there was one that was absolutely in tears at and I can't remember there was one I think I was doing the quiz there was a terrible one one of the answers was like miles off like 20 years um, but, but there's loads where they just um, where they just can't, can't stop laughing at his answers I mean I remember when he we were looking for answers to the, the teaser and the answer he was looking for was uh, it was Craig McHale-Smith that was the name he was looking for and it was Scotland players and I said 
right, quick, you've got five seconds left. It's a double-barreled name, and he said, Barry Bannon. And I just absolutely <laughs> lost it. I thought, I had to say, like, that's not what a double-barreled <laughs> name is. Uh, but he clearly thought it was. And it's, um, I think these, to be fair, I'm sort of hearing this back, these stories are not great to retell, but kind of in the moment, you know, it, it's because mm-hmm. it takes you by... It takes you by surprise. Um, either there's, there's what a pair. I remember the one, there was a Scottish one as well, the full time teaser. Name a Scot, some Scottish striker for Celtic, and the and he's going Scott McDonald, Vinegar Hessling, and all that. Exactly. All, and people might think he, they, they kind of they put it on, but they don't. But then at mm. the same time, they they do come up with some like real wee nuggets. Where I think, how how did you know that and didn't know the, the easy one? So. They're just unpredictable, and I think that's what that's what's uh, that's what's pretty good about it. Um, the quiz was great fun actually during lockdown. It, I think without getting too deep, every day was obviously having a bit of a shit time and looking for just a bit of light relief during the week. So it was great to be able to do that and uh, and just have you know some real fun with it. Putting it on Facebook as well, people can slag the guys for the way they look or the way they dress or whatever their hair looks like or whatever it is and. Uh, I think that's where the show's maybe had had to adapt a bit as well in recent years, you know, social media and coping with the the sort of demand for 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 evolution really, you know, it, it can't just live as a radio show anymore. I think we realised that a few years ago. No, it was brilliant. Um so as as well as sort of the, the panelists and the, the pundits that you've got on, you'll I imagine throughout your time you'll have met many footballers and, and managers and things. So anyone that sort of stands out for you as, you know, like a proper top guy or somebody that, you know, maybe you, you've cultivated a relationship with or friendship with in, in a way? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a few. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, best pals with anyone, but like anything, the more the more you speak to guys, the more you get a good relationship with them. My sort of first main, coming at a time where I was regularly going out to press conferences and stuff to start off, that was when Stuart McCall was the mother manager. Right. And it was interesting to be able to see what that, I mean, you call it a relationship, but it's a professional relationship. Um, but it was interesting to see that that was my first experience of that. We are being there every single week and how that relationship becomes easier and a bit different. And, and I think he probably knew I had a, well, it's more than a soft spot, but that's where he would have seen it. You know, I had a soft spot for Motherwell and um, you were, you know, really able to, really able to kind of interact in a way that that you wouldn't have been able to do if you were just turning up for the first time as a stranger but then ultimately you might need to do that elsewhere and that's that's kind of where the challenge can be there's loads of guys that have maybe um you know we've just come across as a player or a, or a manager or whatever that have then started doing a bit more work on the show uh, off the back of it i'm thinking guys that have maybe you know come on the show every now and then like uh like sort of stephen mcginn or uh, stephen o'donnell or keith lasley or you know guys like that guys that you then you know, you interview them a few times and you see, you get on well with them and you realise that they're a good guy and they maybe trust you as well and you like what they've got to say and you like the way that they say it. Um, and then that's maybe when and we'll invite these guys to come and, and maybe have a bit more of, of an involvement in the show, maybe as a regular guest or or as a pundit. But there are lots, you know, there really are. There, there are loads of guys that are even away from Super Scoreboard. I sometimes do podcasts for the, the Scotland national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing some of those guys um, up, you know I think we did one with Andy Robertson the day he became Scotland captain um, I mean we think of what he's just achieved obviously in the, in the last week or so as well and, and just how, how incredible a story it is um, 
you know, John, John McGinn, for instance, as well. I know he's, he's kind of come on the phone on the show a couple of times, stemming way back from from when he was when he was just a Hibs player before he became, or just a St Mirren player, you know, before he became an English Premier League superstar. So um, it's, it's great to see guys, you know, kind of progressing as well. I think it, it changes your opinion, I think, a lot. Like some of the people you've had on, you mentioned Stephen McGinn there. Obviously, I'm a Livingston fan, obviously. We, we played St Mirren a few times in the Championship. He was the captain and I, I absolutely, well, I wouldn't say despised, but see, on, on the pitch, I was just not not a big, a big fan at all. Like, I thought he was like, I'd called him things, you know. Um, <laughs> we, when, when he came on, he seemed like an like, absolute top man. Like, he, he was really articulate and things like you just wouldn't yeah. expect it at all. Loves his football so much. Like, he's an absolute statue and stuff. Like, great mm. knowledge when it comes to the beat the pundit or the full-time teaser. His knowledge is brilliant. Like, really, really top drawer. Um, but there's loads of that, like you say, about preconceptions. Um, Keith Lasley's another one from having sat in the, uh-huh. the home end too many times. Opposition fans hated Keith Lasley and they think he's some sort of like animal and he's honestly the most like mild-mannered, like nice guy ever. And the most extreme example of that, to be honest, for me, and people still won't believe me no matter how much I say it, is Alex Ray. Like I say it to, to, to everyone that I meet, like mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you've not met him before, first time you meet him you will be blown away or very surprised by his enthusiasm and his sort of openness and willingness to to, to really talk to people and interact with them and we've now and then there'll be sort of competition winners of or whatever um, auction prizes or whatever and they get the chance to come and sit on the show and I can always see it I can always see it you know if if they're big Celtic fans I can always see that moment where the penny drops and they sort of go, he's actually all right. You know, and yeah. that's what's great about football. You know, the, I remember the first time I um, ever got put out to work with Alex, it was a game in Inverness away. It was sort of, it was a game in Inverness. So that's six hours in the car, a couple hours at the game, never met the guy before. And I'm thinking, this could be, you know, this could be quite a shift if we don't get on. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I don't know much about him. I know he was a bit of a bit of a hard man player and always kind of snarling and kicking people and whatever. And honestly, as soon as I get in the car, he's just chatting away, telling brilliant stories about his career in the English Premier League, but always genuinely interested in you and, and what you've been doing and always go really out his way to, to help people. Like, um, In fact, two days ago, I got a message from a woman on Instagram and she said, "Look, my uh, my nephew is six months, six weeks or six months um, clean and sober um, from from drugs and alcohol." She said, "Is there anyone that you could get to record him a wee video message just to thank him?" Now I know that Alex has spoken publicly many times about his own uh, battle with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I sent him a message Saturday morning, and within an hour, he had sent me a, a minute video back. Really great advice. You know, nice stuff from the heart as well, but great advice. I sent it to the woman and she said, I'm in tears here. She says, honestly, I'm, I'm crying watching that. Like, I can't thank you enough and thank you and blah, blah, blah. And I know that's just a small example. I'm, I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, he had to go way out his way. I know it's just a video, but um, there's well, loads of things that just don't, just don't fit into like the kind of public... Uh, the, the, the public perception. I mean, I know, obviously, he's a massive Rangers man and whatever, and... and so be it, like, but um, I, I think there are loads, 
and I've been there myself. I've sat in stands and shouted at people and whatever, but these are just normal guys. Do you know what I mean? They're just they're just normal guys who are out there doing their thing, and it's it's always it's always interesting to kind of peek behind that curtain a wee bit and find out more about them. I've realised that as I've grown up. You know, the, the people I've had on here, everyone's top man, like proper nice people, and ev- everyone obviously you. Ten, 10 times the experience I've got in sort of football media. But everyone I seem to meet is all like nine, well, 99 times out of 100 nice guys. But is, is there anybody that's sort of maybe you wouldn't have, you've not got on with or been a bit of a dick or just has it been a, any any awkward interviews, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at awkward interviews, the sort of the guy that's synonymous with awkward interviews is obviously Gordon Strachan because he just. Yeah. I don't think he hides his contempt really for the media. And by the way, sometimes they deserve it. I don't. I don't really mind that either. You know, if it's a stupid question, he'll call it out for being stupid. So that's that's fine. You know, like so be it. If anything, it, it should raise standards uh, amongst you know the people that are asking the questions. I do think obviously sometimes you can be awkward for awkward sake, and there's there's no real sort of need to do that. Um, I've never really held it against him. It's, sort of, it's, just, it's just challenging, and again. I think when I first sort of came to to this type, I mean, I'm still young, but you know, I was maybe early twenties when I started doing this, baby faced as well. I think maybe it, it is a bit harder just to kind of bridge that, yeah. that generation gap. I don't know, maybe in maybe maybe I'm just making excuses. Maybe I was just talking crap the whole time. But um, and he's actually never been too bad, by the way. But I, I just think he's the one that you're always kind of like, right? I need to, you know, I need to get this right, or I need to. Don't give him any room here, or he's going to absolutely mm-hmm. whack me. Um, the the one that I've never, and again, it's nothing really personal as far as I know. The one that I was just never really able to click with was Tommy Wright, um, right? Who did a fantastic job at, at St Johnston, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't really know. Um, being where they are in Perth, it, it was never my regular sort of beat if you like so it would be now and then if Celtic or Rangers or played them or, or Motherland it would be now and then um, but I always thought God he just acts like I've done something to upset him and if I have I don't know what it is um, I always remember there was one game at Fir Park and they got forced into two early changes like two injuries like maybe like 15 and 20 minutes in so he comes into the press room after and I'm thinking he is always quite awkward with me anyway um, so just play it with a straight bat that's what I would always do I always kind of pride myself on being able to do that anyway um, so I just said uh, Tommy how disruptive was it to make those early changes and how, how are the guys and he just kept his head down and then he just looked up and he goes that's two questions <laughs> and I just thought you know what? And, and if that had been like my, if I had been back, the nineteen twenty year olds first started out, that would have killed me. Like I would have been, my, I would have been like, oh my god, like swallow me up now. But this wasn't that long ago, and I just thought, you know, I just kind of looked at him and so, uh, so like kind of said, right. And then he just kind of snapped out of it and and went on to answer it. And I just thought, nah, that's that's not for me that because I'm, oh listen, these guys need to deal with it. A million stupid questions. So I like that. I like that wee tactical battle. I'm all for if they think that something stupid's been asked and they want to dish out the, the baseball bat. Fine. I think we all we all should be big enough to handle that. But I just felt that was a bit like 
and you know it's a really small thing as well you know a tiny example um but I, it's um, it's not always plain sailing you ever been starstruck obviously you mentioned um doing things with scotland now ever anybody that you've met like a, maybe a hero or anything that you've gone wow like mm-hmm. i'm actually interviewing them or nah nah not really i don't think you can afford to i just think that just you know sort of fanboying over people is not it's, it's not ideal um the only thing is the closest i've came would be on a, a sort of elite level would be the first the first um golf tournament i did there was it Anyway, I did the open at St Andrews, and when Tiger Woods comes, you know, within like that, obviously, I I wouldn't say I was starstruck, but I now under I now at least understand what that means. Like genuinely, it's as if these guys have got like a an, a genuine aura around them. I know that sounds ridiculous, but but genuinely, it's like there's something there's like a glow or something like they <laughs> they they just you can tell they're just on that different uh, different level. Similar with Usain Bolt at the at the Commonwealth Games. So it wasn't starstruck in the sense of like, oh my God, or like I can't concentrate or I wouldn't be able to ask a question, but it's just like, oh my God, I've seen that guy on TV like a million times and, and, and sort of there he is. In a, in a Scottish context, um, the only time I've ever, I think, interviewed Andy Murray was after one of the Davis Cup games at the Emirates. And again, that was at a time where he was just like, you know, I mean, he still is, but sort of at the peak of his powers. Um, mm-hmm. He just thought, man, that's that's incredible. The football one's a bit different, I think, because actually most of the sort of main men for Scotland are guys that are kind of, they're younger than me. Even though, you know, I've always been the kind of young guy in and around the the um, the sort of media game, or I certainly was when I started. Um, so I'm not saying you can't, you can't be a fan of someone that's younger than you, but it, it does change the dynamic. Like I, uh, like Kieran Tierney is a good example. He just lives down the road. Um, we've sort of got mutual friends. We bump into each other now and then. Um, we bumped into each other on holiday. Went went out for a night with him and his mates. Went out with him and his mates in Tenerife last year. Like just before he seals this twenty-five million pound move, um, and he is the guy with the Tesco carrier bag. By the way, like that is not yeah. an act. He's the most like scary down to earth guy ever. So. You're not going to be starstruck by by guys like that, as incredible as their careers are. Um, the only one that sort of, on a personal level, I can I'll kind of laugh at from time to time is James McFadden was like my absolute hero, like uh-huh. ridiculous, like just because of the age, you know. So I would have been about uh, maybe like sort of 12, 12 13, 13 say when he when he was at the peak of his powers at Motherwell, I was a big Motherwell fan. He then starts to do it for Scotland. So me and my mates, I started going to Scotland games to watch James McFadden. Not, not, you know, that's why I started going once he got in the team. The day he moved to Everton, I went and got an Everton strip and got like McFadden 24 on the back. Um, so to then, he's then been a pundit on the show. Um, I play five asides with him and stuff like that. And I'm still not starstruck, but obviously I'll kind of make a joke about it from time to time or whatever. It's just funny to look back on. Like I've got mates, I've got a couple of mates for, uh, who now live in America that used to live here. So they've they've missed they've missed the in between part. They used to come to games with me when I was thirteen, mm-hmm. and then I've they've missed everything in between. And then when I speak to them, they're like, 
I cannot believe you play five a sides with James McFadden. Like, oh my God, like we used to worship that guy. But it just goes back to what you say, they're just, just normal people, do you know what I mean? It's uh, just normal guys at the end of the day. That, that is crazy when you think about it, though. Um, oh, you see when he starts like running towards you with the ball at fives, I, I got all these like I get like these flashbacks of like seeing all like the top class defenders that he's taking the piss out of, and I'm thinking shit, he's gonna he's gonna take the piss out of me even worse than. Uh, but it's never as bad as it seems. Never not megged you. I probably he not megs most people to be fair. So um, just just after the show, I want to sort of touch on it. Um, do you ever kind of assess your own performance or? Kind of listen back and see see where you can improve or anything. Early days. Uh, no, I'm like a bat out of hell when the show finishes. I just that's like my coping mechanism. I am out that door as soon as the as soon as the last bar of the the song plays. Um, and just at that, particularly if it's been like a really kind of stressful show or whatever, just get up the road, have my dinner, and just switch off to an extent. Then I'll revisit it. Back on Twitter, what's the kind of you'll get a flavour of the feedback. Um, maybe if we've then tweeted out clips from the show, I always like to, you know can just check in how, how's it how's that been received and stuff like that. I don't ever really get bogged down with with the feedback because I mean, like I know I know it's important, but we've all seen Twitter. Like it's it's it, it can be a a breeding ground for the more extreme opinions. You know what I mean? And and when it's not measured, when it's just if it's insulting stuff or like that, you know, closet Rangers fan, closet Celtic fan, you just think, oh, come on, is that is that is that where we're at? So uh, you kind of forget about it. Once a week, though, I will sit down with the boss um, and we do listen back. Um, we'll just pick out random random parts of the show. Um, it's mostly from like a a technical aspect, I think, really for him because. With the way speech radio is and, and the way football is and it's live and it's call it, you know, you can't really you can't really prepare for it, you know, and you can't really say, Oh listen, I've got some advice for you. Can you try being a bit funnier or can you try being a bit more knowledgeable? You know, these are things that you can't just turn on and off. You, there's a level of trust there that it's just gonna gonna happen naturally. There are technical things though that that they would be keen to make sure that I do. So we'll maybe listen to like the, the intro of the shows and make sure they're you know as tight as they can be and, and make sure that you know when we're going into a break, what what am I saying going into a break? That am I making people want to stay with us after the break? Am I gonna make them come back after the break? Am I gonna tease them with, with something that we've got coming up and uh and, and stuff like that? But, but no, well, it's one of those jobs that you just can't escape and you can't help critiquing it almost as soon as a caller hangs up the phone I'm probably thinking ah do you know what I should have interacted with him a bit better or I should have you know I should have asked him this or I should have asked him that so it's just a constantly evolving process and then when it comes to the, the kind of bosses at work it's more more technical stuff about you know how how the how the show's structured and what we're saying at different times and stuff like that so I'll, I'll not keep you too much longer just sort of beginning to wrap up now um there's a saying that you know do a job that you love and you'll, you'll never really work a day in your life obviously that that seems to be the case with you obviously it's going to be pros and cons and things but what what is it like just to sort of sum it up like yeah what, what is it like doing that doing the job you do i think that's fair i mean it's all you know it's just to, to people out there who 
go and, and knock their pans in every day and, and deal with really like physically demanding jobs or like proper proper like stressful jobs you know I, I feel like I feel like a fraud like talking about it as if it, it, it's work because I just love it and the, don't tell the boss this I mean, the truth is I feel like I would do it for free you know if if, if mm-hmm. um you know if, if it feels like a hobby I mean don't get me wrong it's it's still work and it, it still comes with days where you're just like you know things can get on top of you and of course the the level of scrutiny and the 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 unfair criticism i mean the fair stuff is is cool but the, the scrutiny and some unfair criticism and some stuff like that yeah like everybody else i'm not I'm no bulletproof you know sometimes it can get you down um but i mean to sit back take a breath take stock and realize that you're able to talk about football on, on one of the biggest platforms for it in, 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 in Scotland and just have fun with it is I'm trying to find a less cliche way of saying dream come true um, but there's probably a reason that that's a cliche is the fact is because it's true and it's a kind of well used phrase I mean that, that, that just kind of covers it off it genuinely is what I've always wanted to do um, and it's it's mad it's mad to think that you just get to do it every day and it just it flies by that's been three three years now um 99.5 percent of that has been highs yeah. and so you, oh, you really can't complain so i'm entering my final year at uni sports journalism what what advice would you sort of give to people like me who you know aspire to do sort of similar things to you work in the broadcast media or any form of journalism what, what are the main things you've sort of learned and that you'd pass on get as much experience as you can because there's so many people out there chasing a few jobs um, and you're going to have to separate yourself from other people, get as many experience, different experiences as you can. Um, truly love it. Uh, like if, if you don't, if you don't love it, uh, it's not, it's, it's not the type of game you get into for easy money or anything like that. You know, it's the opposite. So um, love it. And then, and then it won't, it won't seem like a job. Don't be scared to make mistakes. Don't be scared to put yourself out there and, and then this is about, this is like really cheesy. This is like birthday cared pish or whatever they call it on a on still game. Um, just, just, just be yourself. Just be just try and be personable. I know that sounds like rotten advice. Like how how do I do that? But for me, people can tell you all this kind of like technical stuff and um, and all these wee tricks of the trade. But but for me, it'll always be about people skills. Always. Yeah. Can you can you strike up a relationship with? people that you're going to interview can you strike up a relationship with people who are going to give you a job can you strike up a relationship with fellow pundits with callers whatever it will be without that you know that 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 is that's 80 90 percent of of the job that i do it'll always be that first and then all the other stuff i think just just falls into place so uh, be a good person and get on with people there you go that's the, the most aimless advice i can give you perfect um just again just to wrap up um you've obviously mentioned brilliant job you've got um, doing freelance things as well you mentioned with the, the national team and things but what would you sort of say do, do you have any ambitions for the future obviously loving what you're doing I imagine it's just to you know keep going with that but you probably get asked a lot is there anything maybe going to television or anything else you, you'd like to do in your career yeah I think that would be it I mean I'd definitely need to get this barnet cut before any <laughs> television station would entertain me but just 
not because I don't love what I'm doing at the moment or anything like that, and it's not to say you couldn't do uh, couldn't do both at once, but uh, that would just be the next kind of box I would like to tick. Probably just a different challenge. Um, it's uh, it's getting a bit routine going in there in my shorts and my my football strip on a Saturday, and no one can see you. It would be nice to add that side to it and have to think about the way you the way you present yourself um, to the eye rather than just to the ear as well. So, I uh, just from a sort of fresh challenge perspective, that's something I would. Uh, I would probably say is hopefully not too far off. I always like to, to end with this, um, asking guests, you know, based on the, 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 name, the name of the podcast, the, the full-time whistle, sort of when, obviously, you, you've still got a long way to go in things with your career, but when it sort of comes to an end, how, how, do, you, how do you want to be remembered? And, you know, are, are you proud of your achievements? Oh, wow. That's a good one, because, I mean, you're used to asking that to, to footballers to have real proper achievements. Um, I don't know if anybody will remember me, to be honest. I could probably disappear tomorrow and nobody would remember. Um, uh, is it? I have a deep planner. Yeah, and it maybe is quite revealing about the type of character because I, I think, yeah, do you know what, I'm, I'm not, if you force me to say it, you know, I'm, I'm proud, I'm, I'm proud of, of being able to, to do the job that I do. Um, I just don't really like to dwell on it because it's, do you know what, I just, I feel like I'm quite lucky to be here and, I just enjoy it, but sort of gun in my head, am I proud of it? Then yeah, yeah, of course. I think everybody should take yeah. some sort of pride in what they do. Um, and again, probably back to what I said earlier, I, I don't want to be remembered for anything really, other than if pe- if people do want to do it, then I hope I hope they realise I was just somebody who was always myself and who just loved football and loved talking about it and and did and just did a good honest job. I know that's really sort of boring stuff, but amongst all the people who are desperate to accuse you of, of sort of this that and the next thing I just hope people realise just somebody who loves football and uh, just just trying my best to do a good job at it Well Gordon thank you very much for coming on I've really enjoyed it Anytime no it was a pleasure to speak to you it's uh, something a bit different during lockdown I don't know what I've got in store what box set I've got on waiting for me downstairs after this so uh, no that was great anytime Top man thank you very much Cheers take care Take care all the best Thank you very much for listening. One of my favourite guests so far. Some proper class stories from Gordon there. An absolute top man as well for coming on the podcast, uh, giving a great insight into his career so far. At just 30 years of age, he's, he's certainly done a heck of a lot in the media game so far. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you've not heard any previous episodes, then please give them a listen too. All are available on your usual podcast streaming sites, such as Anchor, Spotify, etc. To keep up to date with uploads and guest announcements, head over to the Twitter, at the FT Whistle Pod, and give us a follow there as well. It's mental that it's been 10 episodes already. Um, A big thank you to everyone that's supported the podcast so far, and uh, hopefully there's many more to come. A big thanks again for listening to this episode, and take care. All the best. Thank you.